thanks. Good morning. Get down to business. Everybody glad to be here? Beats the best jail in Maine, doesn't it? Yeah. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's so good to see people that have been away, people that have been traveling, people that have just been tied up with life, stuff going on. And uh, you're back today, and uh, it's great. And it's interesting how this has ha happened all summer long, <clears throat> because it, every week we, we start doing the count before we're even here, and we think, well, that family's away, and that couple's away, and they're not going to be here, and he's sick, and et cetera, et cetera. And we think, well, we better go, because there's not going to be anybody else, just us. And then we look out, and we have a nice crowd of people. Today is no exception. So welcome. We're glad you're here. Thank you for being here. And uh, I don't know if we put it on the screen anywhere, but as far as getting ready with your Bible and your Bible app and so on, I, haven't, uh, I really don't have a long uh, passage of Scripture or several references as far as text. I'm going to be going two or three places for assorted uh, Scripture, and I'm going to leave it to you uh, to do the referencing. Because I'm in a series, and the series is entitled... The truth is, and uh, I'm going to say this today one more time, this is, this is about Christian apologetics, and a Christian apologetics is not apologizing for being a Christian. And uh, some of us were uh, at a conference a few months ago where um, Ravi Zacharias was the keynote speaker, and um, we, just, we just had a lot of stuff reaffirmed in our hearts and our minds and so on. And I have thought about that for a long time and said, it's time for the new Christians to hear some of this, and it's time for all of us to be reminded of things we already know. And so these are foundational anchors. It's a systematic defense of the basic tenets of Christian faith. That's what it is. Know what you believe and know why you believe that. And as I said last week, it's the manner of addressing the major objections to Christianity by employing biblical reality of truth. So this is number eight, and I'll just give you a heads up. This is the final message in this series. And so I thought I would just kind of do the, the, uh, the cleaning up of the, of, the, of the whole theme today. And I've entitled today's message, Responding to the Critics. So here in this eighth and final message in this uh, recent series... Uh, I'm going to be outlining the popular objections to the Christian faith or the top reasons people think not to be a Christian. And um, some of you are sitting here and say, well, I've never had that thought. I've never... Well, good. That's great. I, I'm, I'm happy for you and I thank God for you. But mm, a lot of people have had it. We've looked already at a lot of different things and that would, that would spur a lot of new ideas like, can the Bible be trusted? Is it a reliable source? Or um, what about the, the supposed uh, uh, battle or struggle between Christianity and science? And I think we gave that a pretty good hearing uh, last week. And uh, is there such a thing as absolute truth? And is Jesus Christ the only pathway to God? 
Or are there others? Or do all roads lead to, to the uh, one God? And those are just a number, just a few of the topics that we've covered and, and others. And if you're interested in getting others, we can, we can uh, prepare and have ready for you this whole series, uh, if you want that, on CD. We examined those claims. We went into a lot of scripture. I've offered what I thought are the reasonable and reasoned responses to each of these criticisms, these doubts, and these lingering ideological shortcomings. Now today we're going to look closely at some of the raw complaints that are made against Christians in our society. When I say Christians, or I say the church, I'm not talking about faith community or faith community only. Well, I'm not talking about just a few of you or any of you or all of you because you're Christians. I'm talking about Christian faith as a body, the body of Christ. When I say the church, I mean the body of Christ. And these complaints of Christians are almost universal. Christians are too judgmental. Christians are intolerant. Christians are hypocritical. I could go on and on and on. So let's answer the critics. And as much as I hate to admit it, I have to say this as a precursor, and I have to be honest with you. I have to say that there are cases where Bible-believing Christians are guilty of these charges and maybe even a few more charges. So let's not get ourselves puffed up here and say, well, this is good, and I know some people that could really use this. But I want to say, on the other hand, overgeneralization is also dangerous. And what I mean by that is to say all Christians exhibit these traits is as ridiculous as claiming that all atheists or all agnostics are satanic and they hate all Christians. And I can tell you from my own personal experience that that is not necessarily true. Matter of fact, I can say this, that most of the agnostics that I have known over the years, a lot of them, most of them, are kind people, they're generous people, they're considerate people, they have joked with me and, and do uh, about all sorts of stuff, and I know if I needed one of those people, they'd be, be there for me, and if they needed something in their lives and it was brought to my attention, I'd be there for them. So this morning I want to discuss the most widely used accusations made against Christians. I'm suggesting that these are things you've heard. Uh, most of them. And I'm suggesting that they might even be things that you've used. Well, that's okay. We'll, we'll deal with that. These are accusations against not only Christians, but the Christian family, Christian faith. So I want to take a few moments and answer these misguided accusations. So the first major criticism or, or complaint is... Christians are too, what? I, I, I think I heard, I'm not sure if I did. Judgmental. Okay, thank you. You know, up until just recent years, the most famous verse in the Bible, saint and sinner alike had heard it and probably could quote it, was John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have Everlasting or eternal life, right? Right. But in more recent years, the most quoted verse has become Matthew 7, 1. And there we read, do not judge or you too will be judged. People love to throw that one out there. The implication is 
that all judgments are bad. And what is really meant by that statement in the, in the world of tolerance is that you Christians have no right to judge me or anybody else because your leader, Jesus, said not to do that. But let me say here that Jesus did not say to make no judgments. Later said that we are to make judgments in the light of his word. Quite a difference. Also, Jesus himself made some rather harsh judgments. And not in a very politically correct manner. As we'll see when we're looking at another one of the topics in a few minutes. One of the biggest areas where the issue of judgmentalism plays a big part is the issue of how to get to heaven. How to get that settled in your heart. The Christian says that only those who've been born again will get to heaven. Because you haven't because you haven't seen or heard anything from the mouth of Jesus that would say otherwise. And that's what Jesus said in John 3. But if you don't like that, or you can't accept that, you can claim that you deserve heaven because you haven't really been bad enough not to go there. See, I've never stolen anything. I've never murdered anybody. I didn't cook the books at Enron. I haven't cheated the IRS much. So whatever... I'm not bad enough to go to hell. I'm not bad enough to miss heaven. And you know what? All those things may be true of you, in fact. Uh, I hope it is. But there's a problem with that kind of logic. And that is, the standard for morality is not other people. It is God. We're great comparing ourselves to someone else. And we always, by the way, choose someone that we know we can look better than. God's standard is perfection. And by that standard, then, let me just give you the bad news. No one will ever stand a chance to get into heaven. In fact, that's the point of the crucifixion of Jesus. Because only his blood can make us perfect in the sight of God. And only those who come to God through Christ will find forgiveness and find heaven for eternity. Thank God for the cross. Thank God for the shed blood of Christ. Thank God that He has made a way for all of us. Because you see, the issue is not, <clears throat> not how bad we are. That's not the issue. Because only His blood, as said before, can make us perfect in the sight of God. The fact is that we're all sinners. That's the fact. Sin is not just what you do. It's not what we do. It's who we are. All have sinned, the Bible says, and come short of the glory of God or the standard of God. The Bible says that if we break one of the commands of Scripture, in God's sight, we've broken them all. But here's the bottom line 
that people use. Christians are not the ones being judgmental. When it comes right down to it, the job of Christians is not to be judges, but rather to communicate God's judgment uh, and the and, and not just judgment, but judgments that are outlined in His Word. Unfortunately, the attitude. And this is where it breaks down for some people of faith. The attitude of many Christians goes beyond this. And they think that because they've discovered the forgiveness of sin, they have it all together. And they have the right to be haughty. I always say haughty and snotty. They have the right to be smug. They have the right, they think, to be rude. They have to, the right to look down their nose at other people. And that's just how they treat some people who don't agree with them. And if that behavior, hear me carefully, that attitude is quite bothersome to you, then let me tell you, I stand with you in total agreement. Because if you truly appreciate what God has done for you in Christ, you will be humble in how you discuss it with other people, remembering that before you gave your life to Christ, you were in the same boat headed toward an eternity of suffering and separation. God doesn't smile on that type of arrogance. <clears throat> Allow me to read just about one verse from Romans chapter 12, the third verse. Paul says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. I'm just going to sum that verse up by saying God wants humility, not arrogance. And now before we move on <clears throat> to the next section, I I want to tell you about something I read recently about judging, and here it is. Never judge a man unless you have walked a mile in his shoes. Then, you didn't know there was a second part of this, then you will be a mile away and he has no shoes. <laughs> a young couple moves into a new neighborhood. The morning after getting moved in, while they're eating breakfast, the young woman sees her neighbor hanging the wash outside. And she said, uh, that laundry's not very clean. She doesn't know how to wash correctly. Maybe she needs better laundry soap or a different machine or something. Her husband looks on. He remains silent. Every time her neighbor hangs her wash out to dry, the young woman makes the same comment. A little over a month later, the woman is surprised to see one morning a nice clean wash on the line and says to her husband, look, she's finally learned how to wash correctly. I wonder who taught her this. And the husband replied, well, I got up early this morning and cleaned our windows. <laughs> and so, be careful, Christian. So it is with life. What we see when watching others depends on the clarity of the window through which we look. Mm. You gave me the exact response that I was hoping for. Total silence. 
So now we're going to move on to the next accusation, constantly leveled against Christians, against the church, against the Christian faith. And it is Christians are intolerant. I'm only going to park here for a short time, but the high, I'm going to highlight a few things about this whole line of intolerance. The issue of intolerance is undergirded by belief that all viewpoints, and especially all religions, are equal and are valid. When a Christian claims that Jesus is the only way to God, that is, a, that is viewed by the world, by our society, by today's culture, as intolerant. You know, Christianity has set the standard for the majority of values in our society, the Western society that we live in. And yet now, we're the people on the periphery. We're the people that don't know how to handle themselves. We're the people who are intolerant. We're the people that have to come along with the crowd, whether we agree or not. Now, I think it needs to be pointed out that tolerant people are, in, a fa in fact, and I can prove this, very intolerant especially toward viewpoints that claim to possess truth that contradicts the tolerant viewpoint. You understand that? Well, in other words, some of the most vocal believers of tolerance are intolerant to my viewpoint. And I can tell you that I've had a couple decades of dealing with those people. And I found that those who promote tolerance are generally very dogmatic about it. They say or imply something like this, well, you must believe in, 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 in tolerance, don't you, Bob? Or if you don't, something must be wrong with you. That statement right there isn't very tolerant, is it? Tolerance likes to promote the sincere practice of one's religion. This is not the case with Christianity, however. Sincere practice of biblical Christianity includes telling people that God has provided a way out of eternal punishment and he's opened the door to heaven and he's given us that assurance that that's where the people of faith will be for all of eternity to enjoy him and to enjoy his heaven for all who call on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Is that true? Is that true? Is that what we believe? Right? True? True. To not expose people to the good news of forgiveness of sins in a home in heaven through Jesus is to be disobedient to the one who gave the command to do so. Who was that? Jesus Christ himself. So I wonder, I'm going to put this question before you. Can we truly be a sincere and devoted follower of Christ if we disregard his commands? I mean, if we just ignore the commands he's given us? Would you suggest that a sincere Buddhist put aside his convictions for the sake of political correctness? On the surface, one would think that that would be consistent with the logic of tolerance. However, here's what I found in real life. It is much more consistent to ridicule Christians and to ridicule Christianity and expect it to just fall in line and conform than it is to encourage sincere devotion on the part of Christians. 
Now, trust me, I'm not doing it today, and I'm feeling very restrained, but I could go many different directions on this with, with a, a complete analysis of our society today, but I'll, I'll, save you the, I'll save you the fun. If truth be told, those who profess to be tolerant are hoping to convert those who disagree with them. Now, to me, that's hypocritical, too. If, I, dis, if I disagree with you and you're bent on convincing me to agree, that is hardly tolerant. That is hardly accepting, is it? True tolerance means that you must not only allow me to practice my faith, my religious faith, but also you should be encouraging me in that faith because it's where I find my fulfillment, it's where I find my meaning, it's where I find my joy, my peace, my purpose, my hope. And also it's where I find purpose for living life right here now on planet Earth. On the other hand, biblical Christians make no preference of tolerance or pretense. We respect people of other faiths, but we don't pretend to agree with them. I want to say that again because it could have been slipped, uh, you know, maybe just slipped on the cutting floor. I want you to get this piece. As Christians, we respect people of other faiths. You still with me? but we do not pretend to agree with them. Now are you still with me? Okay, good. Today, in our culture, here's the truth now, you could easily have, you say, well, not not in Maine, not in Hancock County. Yes. Just give it a little time. You could easily have Muslim and Hindu friends as well as atheist and, and agnostic friends right around you. Maybe neighbors, maybe co-workers. But let me just tell you something. They will not put aside their convictions in order to be your friend. And neither should you. See, tolerance in this case did not, and it still does not, mean agreement. To tolerate, to tolerate, go to your dictionary, means to put up with something that you don't like. Don't look at your spouse, okay? However, in the 21st century society now, we're not asked to just put up with something. We are asked to accept, to embrace, and even celebrate things that we don't agree with. And if we don't, we're intolerant. We're kooky. We're on the fringe. And the thing that I've noticed more than anything else, I should have known it anyway, but I had to have it proven to me about a thousand times, is that it does never work both ways. It doesn't go the other way. Not when it applies to biblical Christianity. I'm going to, say politi- I'm going to make a political statement. I can't help myself. I'm getting, I know some of you are getting ready for the kickoff at 1 o'clock and it's big football day and all the rest of it. There were some big upsets in the college yesterday. But you know what? I'm getting sick, sore, and tired of the NFL. 
There, I said it. And you can quote me. And it's on, it's been recorded, and I don't care who hears it. They're not going to punish players who won't stand up for our nation. Players who are signing multi-year contracts worth over $100 million, saying they don't have a chance in this country. Well, they don't have a chance. What chance do we have? But it wasn't very many years ago, was it, and you've heard the name, when Tim Tebow wanted to kneel down on the sideline and say a prayer before a game, he was punished for doing that. And that's a perfect example and illustration of the point I'm making. It doesn't work both ways when it applies to biblical Christianity. And therefore, by a large swath of population, Christians are regarded, we're all, intolerant. I said I wouldn't park there long, and I'm not going to camp out. So I'm going to go to the last accusation, which is often leveled against Christians, and we're going to consider today this one. You've heard it, probably. You may even have said it at, at one time in your life. That's fine. This is, I think, the most common, the most commonly used. No, I'm not interested in your church. There are just too many in the church. Just too many. Now, when I hear that, this is my stock answer. Don't let that bother you. We still have room for another one. And then they look at me like a kayaker getting ready to go over the falls. <laughs> it has been said that some Christians spend six days each week sowing their wild oats, go to church on Sunday and pray for crop failure. Ever met anybody like that? I'm sure you have. Most of us have. See, hypocrisy is a very real problem in the church. I guess that's where most people notice it. I, I've, never, I've never heard anybody talk to me about hypocrisy in the retail world, hypocrisy in car sales, hypocrisy in the legal profession, hypocrisy in the medical profession, hypocrisy in marriages, hypocrisy... I can, government. I, I, I never yet heard anybody talk about that. But church gets it all. Don't we get it all? Yeah. Yeah. Another thing I usually say when I hear that is, well, look, don't, I know you say there's a lot of hypocrites in the church. Don't use that as your excuse, please. Because I figure it this way. Whenever you can hide behind something, that means you're smaller than that something. Right? Yeah, you have to get tough sometimes. Hypocrisy is a very real problem. In the world, yes, in the church. Let's take the Christian example. A person claims to love God and yet sins blatantly as much as anybody that's out there sinning constantly. Or else one claims to love God and yet is rude and ugly about it. Hardly reflecting the love that Jesus says we're to have for other people. This is not good. And God doesn't like it either. But allow me to point out something by asking a question of the critic. What is the basis of your anger towards Christianity? 
I say, Mr. Critic, you're angry about the hypocrisy, but you do not uphold the values, values you say are so important that the hypocrite is uh, offending. So your anger is hollow because it does not affect the values you hold dearly or deeply, only values that you think someone else should hold. Oh yeah, oh yeah, who's the someone? Namely, the Christian. Now tell me, is that being truly honest? No. See, the ones on this earth who should be offended by hypocrisy are those who do love Christ and seek in their lives to live for him. Because hypocrisy makes a mockery out of the love and grace made available to us by the suffering of Jesus. And thank God again for the shed blood of Jesus. Jim Wallace wrote back in the early 90s, he wrote the call to to conversion, the call to conversion, And in it, he gave his testimony, and I'm not going to read it all, but I want to read a piece of it, and I want to quote him, and here's what he said. When I was a university student, I was unsuccessfully evangelized by almost every Christian group on campus. My basic response to their preaching was, how can I believe when I look at the way the church lives? And they answered, oh, Jim, don't look at the church, look at Jesus. Here's what he said. Here's the end of the quote. He said, I now believe that that statement is one of the saddest in all the history of the church. And and I'm going to stand before you and, and confess this morning. I've used that rationale. I've used that kind of reasoning. It is so faulty. Hear me very carefully because this is important. People should be able to look at the way we live and begin to understand what the gospel is all about. Our lives must tell them who Jesus is, and our lives must tell them what Jesus cares about. So let's not excuse ourselves and, oh, don't look at the church. Just just don't look at people. Don't look at my life. Just look at Jesus. That is a cop-out. People should be able to look at the way you live and I live and begin to understand what the gospel message is and what it's about and how it's so life-transforming and how it brings hope and meaning and purpose to our lives. Our lives must tell them who Jesus Christ is and what he cares about and what his mission on earth is and was and what we must do to be saved. Jesus himself quotes a passage from the prophet Isaiah to describe these people. Here it is. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The bottom line again is that God hates hypocrisy even more than you and I do. He really does. So we need to be careful too. Had the joy and privilege many years ago to personally meet Zig Ziglar. How many have ever heard of Zig Ziglar? Some of you maybe read some of his books. He said this, that if you are thinking you'll stay away from church because it has too many hypocrites, don't let that stop you. And as I said earlier, there's always room for one more. I'd guess that just about everybody has been a hypocrite at one time or another. Maybe not about your faith. Maybe not about standing up for Jesus. Maybe not about 
spreading the gospel, but in some other area of your life. Or maybe you're kind of a, you know, you're a paradox. You, you say you believe this, 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 and this, and you're trying to live for Christ, and yet you're hypocritical because there are other areas of your life where you're not showing the love and the grace and the compassion and the forgiveness and the kindness of Jesus. So I'm going I'm to lump us all together if you don't mind me doing that, and I'm going to lump us all together if you do mind. I, I would say probably all of us, probably each of us, has at one time or another in life been hypocritical. I'll just put it this way, about something. Agreed? Amen? amen. Give me an amen. Woo! Amen. The only four-letter word we allow in here. I'm just gassing up for the next round. Don't be too worried. Can't go without fuel. All right. So we need to be careful about the excuses we make. We need to be careful about judging somebody else to make ourselves look good. I personally have dealt with a lot of people in different areas of, of life over the years, and I've found the most arrogant people are people who moved up the ladder by stepping on people below them. That's sickening to me. If you can't make it on your own merit, just admit it and be who you are and let God do the rest. So what's the answer to hypocrisy? Is it, uh, let me think, more religion? I don't think so. Here's the answer. You're saying, I wonder what the answer is. The answer is more relationship. See, a relationship, a living relationship, and a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ is essential to leave the trap of hypocrisy. To leave any trap of Satan, for that matter, but certainly to leave that trap and leave it once and for all. The only way, and the only way to be ensured of this, is to have a living an ongoing and loving relationship, powerful relationship with your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever noticed that we tend to become like the people we associate with? Ah, your parents never said it to you, but my parents said it to me, that you're going to be known by the gang you hang with. So I taught my boys and I said, you're going to be known by the people you avoid. But it's true. We tend to become like the people we associate with. Well, associating ourselves with Jesus, that's not a bad thing, helps us to become more like him. We associate with Jesus by developing a relationship with Him and with others, seeking to be Christ-like. Not a bad thing. Is hypocrisy a problem? It is. Hypocrisy indeed is a problem today, and it's a problem, again, generally speaking, in the church. And it's probably, probably a problem in some churches more than others. 
I don't think any church is free of it. Because wherever you have people, you run that risk. And friends, the true love for the Lord Jesus, what is that? That's taking biblical values that he left with us as our pattern for life, our lifestyle, if you want to call it that. That's the only antidote for the trap of hypocrisy or for anything else that might be weighing you down. Now, we've all heard the accusations that I've discussed, and there's nothing new here, and, and this is kind of a... It's kind of a wrap-up, but it's also kind of a review today because I just wanted to hit the high points. Maybe you have made some of these excuses. Maybe you have used some of these excuses. Maybe you have brought some of these objections to Christianity. Maybe. Maybe you've, uh, you, maybe you've had a talk with people, and or maybe you've discussed it in your home or in your workplace, or maybe you've talked to God about it. I, I don't know. But I know in all fairness, there are plenty of Christians around who fit the bill. And I wish it were not true, but it is. And I wish that I could say, we're 100% clear of this. And I can tell you, we're only about 98%. No, I've met some people. And this company ex completely excluded, not including one person here. But I've met some people that make my blood boil and even make what's left of it, my hair stand on end. I love the quote that's claimed by so many as a, their original quote that goes like this. I'm not where I need to be, and I'm not where I'm going to be. But bless God, I'm not where I used to be. I want to read a true story for you. I read this a few months ago, author unknown to me. And he says, I listened to a conversation with a guy today at Home Depot. Now, I'm sorry, Walmarters, it could have been Walmart, but it wasn't. It was Home Cheapo, okay? He was dogging Christians. And he just kind of brought this agenda into his hardware shopping that day. And he would not be caught dead in church. I wish I'd have been there, really. I said, who wants to be dead in church? We've got enough dead people in there now. You want to try to get an amen sometime? Wow. Or, 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 or he said there's too many people being called Christians. I've heard them say they call themselves Christians. And they're all hypocrites. When he realized, this man said, that I was looking directly at him, he got defiant. And a big smile came over across his face. And he said, am I offending you or are you one of them? I calmly continued looking at him saying nothing for what may have seemed like a few minutes. It was probably 10 or 15 seconds. It was enough time, though, that based on the look on his face, I could tell he was becoming confused. And I finally said, well, hope you didn't, uh, nope, you didn't, you didn't offend me at all. As a matter of fact, in the exact I'm the exact born-again hypocrite that you were talking about. And the guy was quiet for a minute, 
And the writer says, my, he said to him, my life is a mess. My marriage is like a teeter-totter. My kids are as dysfunctional as their parents. I have no doubt people who don't know me sometimes question my integrity and my ethics based on their worldview and based on my actions. And I seldom carry my Bible. And I always miss opportunities to share Jesus with someone else. But sport, what you need to realize is being an authentic believer and follower of Jesus, what most call, people call it, being a Christian, isn't about sin management and being perfect. It's about creating a per. Can you imagine this conversation going on? It's about creating a personal relationship with Jesus and others and accepting the fact that who I am today or was yesterday isn't who I will be tomorrow. And he looked at his friend, this other guy looked at his friend that was with them, and then he looked back at me, he said, and he said, I have never heard a Christian person tell me their life wasn't perfect. Or at least that's how it always comes across. Thank you, buddy. See, you may not go around saying to people, well, be like me because I'm perfect, but you may carry that air with you and that spirit of judgmentalism with you, and that intolerance with you. I'm not saying you do, but you might. So listen, if you call yourself a Christian, then realize you will continue from time to time to be hypocritical. You may get slipping into that and not even realize it. And your life won't always be perfect without a flaw. And bad things can still happen to good people. That's as hard to understand as how good things happen to bad people. So let's not go there. Just realize, you are on an epic adventure. And you have to strive to become more like Jesus every day. Every day. Don't, just don't be asking what would Jesus do? You know, the WWJD. Don't be asking that. Instead, ask this. Ask this. What did Jesus do? See, what would Jesus do is a total excuse that excuses us. That's all up here. What did Jesus do? If you want to get that integrated into your lifestyle, that's all right here. And there's quite a difference. Quite. A difference. You see, because Christians are imperfect doesn't negate the truth of the Scripture. You know, this Bible is still the Word of God, and it's still eternally true, and it's still verifiable no matter what. It's still divinely inspired. It's still the God-breathed, the, the God-breathed Word. And if some Christian steps out of line, or somebody is not perfect, and things don't go the way we, we you know, the script isn't the way we wrote it, that doesn't affect this book. That doesn't affect that Bible that you're holding in your hands or in your, in, in your iPhone or on your lap, wherever that Bible is. See, a faulty messenger doesn't make the message itself faulty because it can be checked outside of the say-so of the messenger. Now, what do I mean by that? And I think probably people sitting here never heard this reasoning before. And I've never heard me say it. So listen to this. What do I mean by that statement? Simply that you can check out anything I say today. I'm going to go this far. Anything I've said in this 
series of eight messages. All you have to do to check them out is to go to this book. Just go to God's Word. Reagan said, trust, but verify. Trust, but verify. I am not perfect. Quite a revelation, I know. You're going to be a long time dealing with that one. But God's word is. Hmm? Look past me to see what the Bible has to say and ask God to open your heart and open your mind to see what he really has to say to you. If you're looking for a perfect church, give up the search. Because if you find one, the moment you join it, it won't be perfect anymore. I meet people at the door almost every Sunday, and I ask, what, you know, what brought them? Where are you from? You're looking for, oh, we're, we're shopping. What they're really doing, it's that word, only you leave off the S at the start. Yeah. And I say, look, if you're hopping around and you're looking for the perfect church, this is the one you want to join. And that always gets a response out of them. I said, there is no perfect church, so you can stop searching and can just come in and be who you are, and we serve a perfect Savior. But if you're looking to establish a relationship with God that's marked by love and devotion and, 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 and a marked lack of the very complaints that have been leveled against Christians, you can have that today. You can have that. You can have that peace and that strength and that courage to move on. You can have that today. Like other relationships, you see, a relationship with God is a two-way street. He reaches out to you, and then you reach out to Him. In fact, you say, well, isn't it the other way around? No, He started it. He started it. This is something that I think sometimes we just, we just take what we've heard, and we try to assimilate the information, and then try to absorb and then we just kind of move on. I want you to think it down. I want you to drill, drill down. A relationship of any kind has to be a two-way street, right? So he reaches out to you, and you reach out to him. In fact, he initiated it. How? He sent his only son to die for you before you were even thought of. Think of that. There's nobody here 2,000 years old, is there? <laughs> Say, well, I feel like I am. Matter of fact, nobody's ever lived that long. The person in the Bible who lived the longest was Methuselah. And how old did he live to be? 969 years. That isn't even 1,000. I mean, it's close enough I'd give it to him, but <laughs> two grand, can't do it. Huh? So he sent his son, God sent his son to die for you before you were born. 
knowing that you would not naturally come to him on your own for forgiveness. Listen to my next couple of things I say. God offers forgiveness for all your sins. And mine. And what do you and I offer? What do you and I offer? That's right. You got it right. Everybody in here has got it right. Nothing. What a deal. Huh? He offers you forgiveness of every sin, past, present, and future. You say, how could he, how could he forgive the, the, the future sins? And I haven't even committed them yet. Because he's God. And he knows you better than you know you. So he sent his son to make a way for you to have forgiveness of all sin and to have peace in your heart and to know that the door of heaven will open for you. And he did all that before you were even born. And that's what he offers. And what did you offer him? A big fat zero, nothing. What did I offer him? Nothing. I look at that often in my life and say, God, you didn't get much of a deal here, I'll tell you. You offered all that, and all you got was this. Wow. Wow. Are you sure? Yeah. He sent his son to die for you, knowing you couldn't and wouldn't naturally come to him on your own. Here's the truth. We didn't offer him anything. Why? Because we have nothing to offer. What do we have in and of ourselves as we are to offer God, to appease God, and to say, this should be enough. Surely you can give me a passage. No. The Bible says the best we have, here's how it's described in the Bible, the best that anybody ever had or anybody has is no better than filthy rags. That's not a pretty picture, is it? No. But that's biblical. And all we can do is recognize our need for what Christ offers and take it for ourselves by calling on him for the things he offers. What does he offer? Forgiveness. I keep hitting that word, don't I? Freedom. A home in heaven. And a full and abundant life here on earth. He said, I've come. That you might have life. Woo! And that you might have it more abundantly. That's here. That's now. And that's in the forever. I'm all for that deal. I brought nothing and I get that. Wow. Wow. Then with his help, we turn from our sin. We believe that he died for us and that he rose from the dead. And that seals the covenant for eternity. You don't have to go through anybody. You don't have to make amends to anybody. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to bring something. You don't have to go through some kind of ritual. No, 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 no. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Not through Bob Crossway, not through any other preacher or priest or anybody else. That's not how you get there. Aren't you glad? It's just a straight line. Yeah. One last thing. 
While it's true that God hates hypocrisy, He loves hypocrites. How can I say that? Because hypocrisy or hypocrites are like any other sinner. They're loved by God so much so that He sent His Son to die for them that they might be forgiven so that they can have hope for eternal life too. So I would invite you this morning, if you'd like to establish a relationship with the one who can save you and give you real meaning to life, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you're really serious about this and getting maybe for the first time in your life some peace and forgiveness and freedom, I'm going to ask that you grab that Connect card that's in your seat pocket. And on the other side, I'm not even concerned about the name and all that stuff. I'm just going to ask you to go to the second side and down about two-thirds of the way there's there's a line and it says, I would like to know more about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Put a little check mark there. And you know what I'm going to do? We're going to play a song after I'm done. And I'm going to stand over here to the side. I'm not going to plead with anybody. But if you want me to come get your card, just put your hand up and I'll come. Or you just come and bring it to me. We're not going to make a show here. We're not about that. Jesus doesn't promise it'll be easy. In fact, he promises that it'll be hard at times. But he also promises that he'll be with us. You've got to hear this. At all times as His Holy Spirit lives in us and conforms us, helping us to love Christ and to live for Christ. So I think we've done a fair job this morning of answering the critics. In a series, I've loved getting this ready for you. It's been a lot of work, but it's been a joy to to do this. In a series entitled the truth is. But now it's a wrap, and I want to say thank you for your indulgence throughout this eight-message series. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I love you.